what if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. Well, last week I was feeling under the weather. I had a fever and a dry cough. So I did the responsible thing and I went for a PCR COVID test. And it was negative. So this week we're asking, if it's not COVID, what the heck is it? Hi, Zane. Welcome to The Dose. Hi, thanks for having me. Have you picked up any non-COVID viruses lately yourself? Yeah, unfortunately, I have a two-year-old who's in daycare. And, you know, thankfully, daycare has been one of these things that's been open throughout the pandemic. But clearly, that's a setting where social distancing isn't particularly there, unfortunately. And, you know, kids don't sit in their desk and read The Economist in the corner at daycare. And so... (laughs) You mean they uh, don't? Yeah, I wish, I wish. And so she's picked up a few viruses in the last probably six months or so. And a couple of those have come back to home. And she's had a runny nose and a cough got swabbed, was negative, and then a day later, I got the runny nose and a cough, and, and, you know, clearly she's fine and running about is normal, and I'm lying on the couch, you know, feeling like uh, the end of the world. It, you know, unfortunately is part of the getting back to normal is some of these viruses that got put off because of COVID, you know, are really coming back to come uh, see us again. So I'm going to get you to take your parent hat off in just a second and and put your uh, expert hat on now. Why not just say a hi, my name is, tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, so my name is Zane Chagla. I'm an infectious disease physician and associate professor at McMaster University and medical director of infection control at St. Joseph's Healthcare in Hamilton. Okay, well, here we go. Assuming it's not COVID, what other mm-hmm. non-COVID diseases are people getting sick with right now? You know, the most common things we see are enterovirus and rhinovirus, which is what what really is the common cold virus and uh, certainly is circulating uh, around the country, really has been circulating actually quite a bit during the summertime. We see uh, RSV, the respiratory syncytial virus, which is a, a common cause of childhood illness and, in fact, one of the more common causes of young children being hospitalized with viral infections. And again, seems to be taking off in Canada. We've seen it take off in other places in the world, and particularly in Quebec, we're seeing a significant amount of activity. Uh, and the last is a, a cousin of influenza, something called parainfluenza virus. Uh, which again has shown up in July and August and seems to be coming about in a number of samples really across the country in that sense. And so these are the viruses that were part of the typical virus season. Some of them like rhinovirus and enterovirus more during the summertime. Some of them like RSV and parainfluenza more towards the wintertime. But many of these viruses between our measures, uh, you know, really did not have much activity in our community Uh, but are now seeing a a significant return in in certain places in the country and and seem to be actually picking up steam over the last few weeks. I'm going to ask you why in just a second, but I want to clear up one thing because I'm sure some people listening to this have this in the back of their minds. When Mm -hmm. we say it's not COVID, it's Mm -hmm. because a test said it's not COVID. So could the test be wrong? 
generally, you know, these tests are incredibly sensitive. PCR is one of these things that stays positive for weeks. And in fact, is one of the problems with our test is we're, we're getting people that had COVID months and months ago. And so, you know, if it's not COVID on a test, uh, it's likely not COVID. So, so basically the bottom line, what you're saying is that, is that the PCR test is highly sensitive. So if it says, mm-hmm. if it's not COVID, it's probably not COVID. The, the, the downside is that if you did have COVID uh, a couple of months ago, it might still be positive. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about those other diseases. Why are they making a comeback? What we've done over the last, since March of 2020, with physical distancing, masking, uh, density and capacity limits, lowering indoor gathering space, better ventilation and settings, and, uh, um, you know, particularly travel, uh, has really altered the, the seasonal pattern of these illnesses. Again, you've altered schools and and capacities there where we see some of this amplification. Kids aren't necessarily getting together with kids in large gatherings indoors. Uh, And again, the masking and distancing and ventilation and all these other measures for COVID-19 actually have, they're not COVID-19 specific effects. They're going to affect viruses that have a respiratory route of transmission. And so again, you've seen these very blunted seasons of these viruses uh, that you know we haven't seen for really as long as we've been tracking these viruses with good epidemiology. What's happening now is is the opposite, right? You have people traveling back into Canada. These viruses usually land back in Canada seasonally because of travelers like influenza from areas that are at higher risk of influenza during that time. You have the masking, distancing, quarantine, and and other things that are preventing these viruses from kind of taking off in the population, which are starting to come down slowly. We're getting some more high-risk indoor gatherings as part of our day-to-day lives. You know, you are now starting to create the conditions for these viruses to retransmit again. You have schools and daycares kind of back to normal too, which again are, are places where we see these viruses spread quite a bit. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, this is all adding up and it, you know, in some cases is adding up very weirdly where we're seeing some of these pathogens that typically uh, spread during the winter time starting to actually show up in the summertime, which is, again, since we've been tracking these viruses really hasn't been something we've seen, but because we've now completely altered the seasonality of these and have reintroduced them back in the population, we're seeing very atypical patterns of, of disease that we've never seen before. Kids have returned to school, and for mm-hmm. the last year and a half, they've had reduced contact with other kids, as you've already said. Uh, what does that mean for kids who are re-entering school uh, this fall and the viruses that may afflict them? Prior to COVID-19, it wasn't uncommon for kids to pick up things like the common cold in school. We expected it. You know, something would usually go to the classroom. As two teachers would tell us that, you know, a few kids were were down with an illness for a few weeks and with things like sports and other kind of indoor close contact gatherings, you know, we, we start seeing this more. As much as we talk about surface transmission probably being a very small component of COVID-19, you know, for enterovirus and rhinovirus, they're actually quite a significant component of their transmission. And so uh, as much as masking and physical distancing will help, you know, that hand hygiene, that washing of surfaces and, and really kind of contamination of surfaces is going to be a big deal for some of those people that, uh, you know, may get rhinovirus over COVID-19. Uh, and it, it will be disruptive, unfortunately, for families dealing with these illnesses spreading around the household. You mentioned a particular virus, RSV, respiratory Mm -hmm. syncytial virus, and there have already been reports of an increased number of cases of RSV among kids. So what should parents be on the lookout for with that particular virus? 
Yeah, so this one is is definitely the one of, of major concern. And uh, and again, you know, it's been great that we haven't seen it for a couple of years, but it is a, a virus that, you know, unfortunately does affect some of our extremes of age, particularly the young age. And so, you know, under the age of one, uh, kids with prematurity or other medical conditions are at high risk. You know, many children do really well, but this is the typical virus that hospitalizes kids with pneumonia and, and bronchitis you know, in that first year of life. But, you know, certainly this this is one where parents do need to be on the watch, particularly for the kids under one, looking for symptoms, but also, you know, wheezing, uh, kids that are very lethargic, kids with a persistent cough, kids that are having difficulty breathing or, or missing breaths, where, you know, these are kids that do need medical treatment and often need hospitalization when they get to that point. And unfortunately, we are seeing in places not only in Canada and the United States and the United Kingdom, where, you know, there are kids unfortunately being hospitalized for RSV that we didn't really see through the pandemic. Uh, last year, Canada had virtually no flu season, uh, mm -hmm. which was predicted by what happened in the Southern Hemisphere during their flu season. Based on what we have seen in Australia and New Zealand in their winter, which they're just emerging from, what kind of flu season do you think we'll get this year in Canada? It's interesting because they really have not seen a significant amount of activity in the typical places we do our surveillance, as you said, Australia and New Zealand. But add to that point that Australia and, and more recently New Zealand have been in a state of lockdown as their uh, COVID-19 transmission has been really high, one of their biggest waves that they've seen to date. And so it may not be the greatest example of how to look in, in terms of a context outside of Canada that artifactually likely decreases the amount of influenza that's transmitting in the community because schools are closed and people are home. If you do look to places like East Asia, South Asia, Sub-Saharan Africa, particularly South Africa and South America, you do see a little bit of influenza transmission in places like East Asia, actually not that far off from prior years. Uh, and so we'll likely see a reintroduction of influenza back into Canada. My guess is because we're all still going to be living in a, in a state of some degree of caution with how we uh, live our day-to-day -day lives, we're probably not going to see as aggressive of an influenza season. But influenza was one of these diseases that made our hospitals stretch prior to COVID-19. Uh, and so, you know, any influenza activity in the community, particularly leading to hospitalizations, is going to be a pain on our system to deal with. You know, I think we can expect it will come back, maybe not at the levels of pre-pandemic 2019, uh, but, you know, even the small burden of it that comes back is still going to have significant implications on our healthcare system. So you're still advising people to get a flu shot? Yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, it, there's there's lots of different reasons. Obviously, influenza is not a benign illness. It can lead people extremes of age to be hospitalized, people with medical conditions. We know there are other conditions associated with influenza, like having a heart attack or a stroke that often come after influenza. Uh, and, you know, going through the healthcare system, which is probably going to deal with some strain dealing with everything into the winter time and the catch up from the years prior, you know, leading to any decrease in hospitalization is going to have significant effects on our society. And then the last thing is, again, do, do people want a respiratory illness 
during this season when we have to go through a test, when we likely have to isolate ourselves, that it rips through the household and lots of kids come out of school. You know, this is the only one of these diseases outside of COVID-19 that has a viable and effective preventative solution, even if it's 40 or 60% protection against getting influenza that year. Getting influenza is, is not only a, a serious outcome for some, but it's an annoying outcome for others in the context of COVID-19 and the need to get tested and isolation and everything else. So we've been talking so far, virus, 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 influenza, parainfluenza, RSV, COVID, they're all viruses, and yet it could be an illness caused by a bacteria. And I'd like you to talk about something called walking pneumonia. Yeah, so most of the causes of respiratory tract infections really are viral. Um, you know, there is a percentage of people that get true bacterial pneumonia. So this is a bacterial infection of the airways where there's a lot of congestion of the airways. There's um, a lot of mucus associated with this. Uh, and certainly people can become, you know, very mildly ill and in the walking pneumonia spectrum where people can have persistent cough, respiratory symptoms, feeling lousy and unwell for a significant amount of time, and, and but are often functioning, which is where we get the walking pneumonia term from. Uh, and then there's another spectrum of people that get true bacterial pneumonia from pathogens such as streptococcus pneumonia, which is their commonest cause of pneumonia, that can actually be really sick and have you know high-grade fevers and may need more directed medical therapy to settle things down. So it gets a little bit confusing, obviously, to say, when do I think it's bacterial? When do I think it's viral? But you know, certainly people who have a prolonged illness, who have a really serious illness, are, are you know, there there still is a chance of bacterial. Odds are it's still probably viral. But again, there are tests like a chest x-ray that can often tell the difference when we're getting past a few days to a week or again, symptoms are getting worse. It's worth it to have that discussion just to make sure there's not a complication of bacterial pneumonia and something that can be treated relatively quickly. And treated with antibiotics as opposed to a virus, which of course doesn't respond to antibiotics. Absolutely. And again, you know, I'm an infectious disease doctor, you know, part of my job every day is making sure that antibiotics are used appropriately. And again, we still think the vast majority of these illnesses are viral. And, you know, usually if people are not having significant symptoms, then time is the best cure. Uh, and, you know, we, we want to see less antibiotics prescribed in that population because the disease will get better on its own. You've just given it antibiotics that aren't going to do very little. Um, but at the other spectrum, you want to make sure that the people who do need antibiotics, who have serious illnesses, who have illnesses that aren't getting better, that have other red flag signs of a bacterial infection, that they get their antibiotics appropriately. Zane, uh, let the record show that you have burnished your credentials as an excellent steward of antibiotics. And I want to yeah, thank I, you for that. It's so important that we don't ask for antibiotics when we don't need them. But when there's evidence that we do need them, then then they, we want them to continue to be effective. Uh, I will tell you that my own illness turned out to be bacterial. Uh, <laughs> and I realized that when I discovered uh, something unusual. So I had a couple of swollen glands mm -hmm. uh, on the left side at the base of my neck. Now, I usually get them at the top of my neck, just under my jaw. Mm -hmm. It's familiar to me. You know, with virus infections, they come, they get bigger. It's a harbinger of the immune system revved up, and then they go away. These two were getting worse. And then one day, uh, I noticed that they were red that the skin overlying these mm. two enlarged glands were red. And uh, suddenly I remembered that my daughter got a new dog. And there mm. were a couple of conspicuous episodes in which I received a rather detailed face washing 
from my dog. <laughs> and folks, do not do that at home. Do you know, folks? Folks listening to us, do not let your dog do a face wash because people who are immunocompromised have actually died from from being licked. You can literally be licked to death by your dog. That was a, a foolish thing on my part. So, want to walk me through some of the uh, evil germs in uh, uh, a canine saliva? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, dogs are part of our lives and part of being an infectious disease doc. We get consulted for everyone that's got licked by everything. And and so, you know, uh, some of the things that can cause infections from dogs, there's a, an infection that's very similar to um, uh, whooping cough, which is caused by a bacteria called Bordetella pertussis. Um, it's called kennel cough. And many veterinarians actually know kennel cough quite well because again, they, they know their animals get sick with it as, as they're raising and breeding dogs, uh, which can cause almost like whooping cough for a dog, but can transfer to humans and often gives them a very similar syndrome with bacterial infections. My guess is just hearing your story, that's probably one of the big things on the list. Um, you know, dog saliva has a number of different pathogens. As you said, they're very dangerous, particularly people without a spleen can get very seriously ill by another bacterium that, that's in dog saliva. So there's a, there's definitely a spectrum within uh, dog illnesses, but dog respiratory illnesses, I think the big one that sits out is, is kennel cough. Tell your doctor if you've been licked by a dog, particularly, <laughs> uh, we're not talking about an occasional lick on a hand and you wash your hands immediately after. We're talking about licks that are on your face uh, close enough to your eyes, for instance, or close enough to your nose or mouth that those germs could easily enter your body and start an infection. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, these are the things that, that we want to hear about as providers. You want to make sure that uh, we get the full history of things like travel, of other sick contacts, of pets you know, weird places like farms, because often it can really change even the tests that we do to actually go for these Bordetella peripatussis. We actually have to send particular swabs to make the diagnosis. Uh, and so, you know, it, it again, you know, is important to, to actually have that very detailed discussion around illnesses to make sure that, you know, we're picking up some of the, the, the atypical things that lead to them. So, you know, dog saliva aside, uh, is there anything else going around so far this fall that we should keep in mind? Yeah, there, there are other things. I mean, like we've seen a return of Norwalk virus, which, you know, causes horrible diarrhea in people and nausea and vomiting often gets better very quickly, but uh, certainly, you know, is, is one of these things that can go through a family quickly and, and uh, is a, a common cause, especially in people that are, again, uh, at high risk of, of complications of, of hospitalization. We're seeing some West Nile virus, unfortunately, as part of this, this season, which we typically see, and that can lead to anything from mild symptoms to, you know, a flu-like syndrome to uh, meningitis and encephalitis. And again, if uh, you are developing these symptoms, particularly confusion, headache, neck stiffness, to actually get medical care and probably more urgent care than a primary care provider. And, you know, interestingly, one of the, the other weird things I've seen recently in the last probably three to four months is, is a lot of Lyme disease. And, you know, it's an illness that, you know, I would see relatively occasionally, certainly the ecology has changed in Ontario, but I, I think we're also starting to see people who have been outdoors more and, and our appreciation for the outdoors, uh, you know, has been great, but unfortunately means that a lot of people are meeting these ticks where they are. Uh, and again, you know, because of COVID and people, you know, attributing other illnesses to it, the diagnosis may get missed. So similar symptoms, fevers, or a characteristic bullseye rash, and, you know, any joint symptoms, 
ocular symptoms, uh, you know, again, a good reason to go to your doctor and again, go through that history of where you've been hiking and where you've been recently is, you know, again, we're seeing a little bit of delayed diagnosis for some of them. So let's sum up, give us a plan of action. If you're not feeling well, especially if you have a fever, the first step is a COVID test. But if that's negative, mm -hmm. what should your next steps be? You know, if, if it's a fever, respiratory symptoms, people are generally well, they're able to ambulate, they're able to do their day-to-day -day work, um, they're just feeling a bit lousy or congested, then it's not an inappropriate idea to just get your COVID test, make sure it's not COVID, um, you know, stay at home and not necessarily try to infect others and, you know, give it time for it to settle down as most respiratory tract infections will do. If you're obviously seeing any significant symptoms, so not being able to eat or drink, uh, losing weight, diarrhea, significant diarrhea, um, or coughing, you know, significant amounts, difficulty breathing, uh, wheezing, or, or difficulty, which is kind of doing day-to-day -day activities, then those are better signs to get assessed more urgently for things like bacterial pneumonia. And again, you know, uh, keeping tabs of your kids too for the same thing. So, you know, similarly, they may get the runny nose illness. It may be mild to get the COVID test and it's fine. But if you are starting to see some of those respiratory symptoms, particularly kids having struggles with breathing, wheezing quite a bit, persistent cough, and uh, you know even episodes where where breathing looks a little bit funny, then it's again important to get assessed for those because you know even though it's not COVID, it could very well be a serious illness that may need some uh, hospital care to to get through. Well, Zane, uh, that's a lot of great practical advice. Um, I feel for you uh, having a two-year-old. We <laughs> say that two is a wonderful age, but uh, yeah. thinking about the kinds of uh, infections she and her cohort may be sharing with one another and possibly bringing home, uh, I don't envy you. Yeah, it's always the irony when infectious disease docs get recurrent infections. And so, you know, this is part of life, but it clearly isn't the funnest part of life with COVID-19 going forward. Take care of yourself on more than one front. Thanks for having uh, me. You're welcome. Nice to talk to you. Dr. Zane Chagla is an infectious disease specialist and an associate professor of medicine at McMaster University in Hamilton. Here's your dose of smart advice. There are lots of viruses other than COVID that could cause symptoms like fever and cough that also occur with the coronavirus. Masking, hand washing, physical distancing, and restricted travel have altered and, in some cases, even reversed the seasonal pattern of these diseases. As restrictions are lifted, we're seeing those other viruses mount a comeback. That's especially true for kids returning to in person classes for the first time in many months. If you get symptoms like fever and cough, stay home, wear a mask, wash hands frequently, and get a PCR COVID test. If the test is negative, you're probably sick with one of those other viruses. You'll get better with rest, fluids, and acetaminophen or ibuprofen. If your cough and fever persist, your doctor may recommend a chest x-ray to see if you have walking pneumonia. The treatment for that is antibiotics. Parents, if your infant or toddler has fever and wheezing or trouble breathing, take them to the nearest ER for assessment. It could be RSV. And get a flu shot as soon as it becomes available. And if you have an affectionate dog, well, keep those friendly licks to the minimum and not on your face, and use soap and water to wash up afterwards. Who let the dogs lick anyway? If you have questions you'd like answered or topics you'd like discussed, tweet me at NightShiftMD or at CBC Podcasts or at CBC Whitecoat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. Our email address is thedose at cbc.ca. 
If you like what you're hearing, please give us five stars so more people can find us. This episode of The Dose was produced by Rachel Sanders. Technical support was by Billy Heaton. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. As usual, our mission is to help you get better informed about your health. But if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.